What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Recover Out Loud, brought to you by the Antisocial Network. This morning, we have a really awesome guest, somebody that's kind of out of the spectrum of what we do, but fits in kind of perfectly here. We've got Mandy Counters. How you doing, Mandy? I'm good. How are you? I am. I'm doing great. Super hectic morning, but uh, super excited to have everything kind of just fit in to the, to the wild schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Mandy is a doctor and a podcaster, and I figured that we'd have her on today and talk about a little bit about the podcast, a little bit about uh, her experience as a doctor and what she's learned along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mandy, would you like to give a formal introduction of yourself? Sure. So I am mom of three boys, and I have a bonus daughter as well now, but um, have been in healthcare for about 24 years, the last 11 or so as a nurse practitioner, um, always in neurology. So there's a fine line between mental health and the brain health uh, structurally. And that's I try to stay on the brain side of it, but the mental health comes in all the time as well. So um, I do have my own personal struggles with it as well that we'll get into today, I'm sure as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I was I was a guest on on Mandy's show and my my episode will be airing a little bit later on, but yeah. figured get her on and and share her experience. Uh, so, Mandy, you're from the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Yeah. 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 Frozen uh, tundra right now. Yeah. How, how <laughs> yeah, much we just snow? keep getting more and more snow. How much snow do you guys have so far? Oh, gosh, we've gotten I don't even know how many feet we've gotten. It's been one of the snowiest years since I've been a kid, so it's insane. That is wild. And as most of my as most of my uh, my followers would know, I, I just moved from Alaska. I was there for five, almost five years, and I'm not, you know. And I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, and so I'm used to the snow, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of over it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, I'm over the snow too. You know, I'm mm-hmm. excited. I live in a state that doesn't snow too much. And when it snows, everything shuts down. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's good yeah. for us. Um, yeah. But all right, Mandy, let, let's let's get into it. Um, what, what led you to want to be a doctor? So I have... It's kind of funny. When I was a little girl, I wanted to either be a teacher or a nurse, and I got have gotten to be both in my lifetime as an adult. And it's been so much fun to be able to do the things that I dreamed about. Uh, I was a nursing instructor for a while, and then uh, working as a nurse practitioner, I do pretty much the same things as a doctor. My patients always call me doctor, uh, but uh, I sometimes try to correct them, and I'm like, I'm nurse practitioner, but it's almost a little bit better. No offense to doctors, but you get to spend more time with me. I uh, I get to see things on a bigger picture. And I uh, had a really good close friend growing up in our church who she was a nurse and I looked up to her completely. She was a great role model, a great leader in our church. And I thought, I want to be like that someday. And then got into neurology uh, because I absolutely loved dealing with the patients that we had that were neurological patients. And then my mom actually had a stroke when I was early in my career as a nurse. And uh, so then that got me really interested even more so in stroke. And that's kind of where I've been for most of my practice was stroke and then general neurology as well. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, Mm -hmm. that's wild. And first off, I want to say thank you, uh, you know, for everything that you do, uh, because I don't think that, that people in the uh, practitioner world actually get enough credit for what they do. Thanks. It is often a thankless job, 
I do appreciate when I get the thanks. Um, it makes my job all, all the more worthwhile, but I, I absolutely love what I do. It's, it's a passion and I can't see myself doing anything else other than being what I am. So. Yeah, absolutely. What, what about the brain and the way the brain functions kind of like intrigued you and, and kind of, you were like, ah, right, you know, I'm gonna step into this field. What got you there? You know, I think it's the fact that no two people are the same. So no two strokes are the same. If you have two patients that have a, a stroke in the exact same part of the brain, they are not going to respond the same because our wiring is all different. And we always say that we're all wired differently, but we really are. There's uh, structurally, emotionally, hormonally, we are all different people on the inside. Um, but it's, it's just, it's neat to be able to take care of people and see how they recover and how resilient they can be. And I think it's the fact that the brain is still that one final frontier that we don't know all, everything about yet. Mm -hmm. There's still being research done and all the time. We're always learning. Uh, gosh, brain health is not what it was 24 years ago when I started working in healthcare. Mm -hmm. We know so much more and we know that people, people are resilient and can recover from things that we used to think they couldn't. So it's a lot of it is a matter of mindset. Do you believe mm -hmm. you can or do you believe you can't? And there's a quote by Henry Ford that I absolutely love. It's if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. And it's it's exactly true. When I get my office set up, that is a quote that I want to put on the back of my wall. I, I absolutely love that quote because that quote definite defines uh, human resiliency. If you believe you can, you can. If you can't, you, you won't. Yeah, it's and a self-fulfilling prophecy. So Absolutely, 100%. I believe in that wholeheartedly, you know, because... You know, the power of your words is are, is pretty much the driving force behind anything we do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so being being a nurse practitioner and, and working in neurology, uh, what are some of the more common things that you've come across when it, when it comes to the brain? Yeah. So probably the most common ones would be strokes and migraines. And my, so those are two of the things that I've been I'm very passionate about in my practice. But a lot of times we actually see people who have what we call a psychogenic illness, meaning they have a mental health issue that has been unaddressed and that can lead to physical symptoms in their body. So a lot of what I see are patients coming in and they have They've been frustrated because they've gone to, to provider after provider and they're not getting answers because everything's coming back normal. Mm -hmm. There's not a structural problem in their body. It's a hormonal imbalance. It's a, um, a mental health issue really causing physical symptoms. Mm. And that happens so much more commonly than, than we think. So mental, so mental health can have a, have an effect on the structure of the brain. It can. Yeah. We can see uh, changes in hormonal issues. So literally, but we have several different hormones in our brain that run our body on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. They tell us how to move appropriately. They tell us how to feel things. They interpret information from the rest of our body. Mm -hmm. And if those get disrupted because of mental illness, we actually see physical symptoms. People can have seizures because of it. And it's not mm -hmm. a structural problem causing it. It's this emotional problem that's causing it. And they have sleep issues, can, which can lead to high blood pressure, cholesterol issues. Um, they can actually lead to diabetes when you have uh, hormones messed up in your brain. And all of that can lead to strokes. It can lead to um, other just unexplained physical symptoms that we can trace back to stress and emotional response. Mm. So like, let's just say for, for instance, uh, a stroke, what what is 
what would the brain look like it, like while it's going through a stroke if you if you could explain that yeah so while it's happening um and oftentimes we'll patients will come in the emergency room and we try to get imaging as it's happening really the only thing that can catch it while it's happening it is an mri uh, the first test we always do is a ct so people always think oh if it's negative we're fine but it takes about 24 hours for things to show up on a ct scan mm -hmm. but if we were to look at the vessels we can potentially see blocked vessels so there are two main types of strokes. One's a hemorrhage, one's a blockage. And when that blockage happens, we can actually sometimes see it on that CT. So it shows up bright white because there's a, a clot in a vessel. And we have treatments that we can do to stop it and reverse it. And then that those changes go away and the symptoms go away. And the person can, I've, I've seen people get completely 100% back to their normal self. Wow. If we that's, stop it in time. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I know I suffered from traumatic brain injury, which I shared with you. Yeah. Um, what is like a definition of traumatic brain injury? Because a lot of people say, oh, it's just a lot of concussions or it's a really bad concussion. What would what would that kind of look like? Yeah. So a, a traumatic brain injury, TBI can happen even as simple as um, hitting your head on a cupboard. So it depends on how hard you hit it. I've actually given myself a concussion before by- Did that two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I ran into my car door. I was in, in a hurry to get going and I opened up my car door really fast and the corner of the door hit me right square in the forehead. The world went black. Oh. So it's, you can give yourself a concussion in really simple ways. And you can actually end up with a concussion if you hit your chest really hard and your brain still kind of moves around inside your skull, but you don't actually hit your head. So concussions can happen lots of different ways. And- Early on, we often don't see the changes on the brain unless it happens so hard that there's a bleed on the brain. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we don't see changes. Over time, if people have multiple concussions, we can actually start seeing these little, what we call small matter changes, small white, white matter changes on the brain, where you get all these little speckles. And sometimes they're bigger than others. If they're a certain size, then we would actually call them a stroke. People can have strokes after they have TBIs. It increases your risk just because of, again, changes in the hormones in the brain. So after time, we can absolutely see those changes. Uh, and even longer, so somebody can have a concussion in their teens playing sports. And in their 60s, 70s, it comes back to haunt them. Because as we age, all of our brains shrink a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if it shrinks in just the right space where we had that brain injury, it interrupts that electrical circuit in the brain that tells our body what to do. And that can cause seizures. Wow. So even if we can't see the change, we can see it in different ways, such as on an EEG way when we look at those brain waves. Oh, wow. So uh, I know in the sports world, in the professional wrestling world, I'm a huge professional <laughs> wrestling fan. We talk a lot about CTE. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the, what the difference between CTE is and traumatic brain injury. I have a good idea but I'm not exactly sure. Would you be able to clarify that? They're pretty much the same, but when we get to um, the, the E in there, it's often edema. So when we talk about brain swelling, and that's when somebody has multiple concussions back to back. So if you have one concussion, your brain needs time to recover. If you have a concussion and you're still trying to recover from that first one, you get a second. So we get, call that second impact syndrome a lot too. Mm -hmm. We can actually see severe swelling in the brain that can lead to death. So it's very, uh, very important when people play contact sports like that of, of any kind, that if they suffer a concussion, that they do take the time off and recover and let their brain heal. Because if they don't, it can be, it can be devastating if they yeah. go back in and get another one. Right I now. know that there's, there's a very, 
very famous case that happened in the professional wrestling world, uh, Chris Benoit. I don't know if you've heard of him. I but, heard the name, but yeah. Okay, so essentially uh, there's a big controversy around his wife and his son uh, died at the hands of somebody else. A lot of people speculated it was him because it was a double murder suicide. Mm. And when they when they finally were able to do studies on his brain after a while, they found out that his brain had swollen tremendously and uh, they started doing studies in CTE. So they take concussions very seriously now in professional wrestling and in football, which is, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause our brain, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, our brain is like our electrical circuit. It keeps us going. Absolutely. Um, we, it's kind of funny in all the years I've been in working in neurology, we kind of fight with cardiology a little bit because they always say that the heart's the most important thing, but your heart can be beating. And if your brain stops working, you're not going to survive. So the brain is absolutely there. It tells us who we are, what we are. It tells our body to move. It tells our body to do everything that we need to do. So yeah, it's, it's the most important organ, honestly. No, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Let's let's kind of flip the script. If the heart stops beating, does the brain keep going? Yes and no. Okay. So uh, if somebody's heart stops beating for even five minutes, it can cause a loss of oxygen to the brain where we then see what we call anoxic. So lack of oxygen damage to the brain. Mm-hmm. And that can be irreversible. And patients can be stuck in a vegetative state essentially because the brain has had lack of oxygen long enough that it it's not going to function. And, and there's no way to kick, kind of kickstart the brain. Mm-hmm. Can't like, <laughs> no, I, that, that's can, dangerous. Yeah, we, we, can, we, we can shock the heart. You can't shock the brain. Yeah. Shock the brain. It's going to yeah definitely kill the system. Yeah. Yeah. So be it, being, being in neurology and, and mm-hmm. all that stuff, what, what do do you have any fears uh, as being in neurology? Like if you look at a brain and you're like, oh my goodness, that could happen uh, to me. Oh gosh, yeah. As uh, <laughs> as you go through through school, initially you kind of get to be a little bit of a hypochondriac at first because you're like, oh no, every little headache is like, oh, it's my brain tumor. I used to joke <laughs> when I uh, I've had headaches or migraines since I was a teenager, so I used to joke that it was my brain tumor acting up when I had that. Uh, it's not actually a joke because I've had several patients who came in with headaches and then we found tumors. Um, so it's not really a joking matter, but um, that's always my my biggest fear. Honestly, is um, finding a brain tumor in someone who we didn't even think that was going to happen. And I had that happen recently to a patient who was just, he ended up being one of my favorite patients, I think ever. And his family Mm -hmm. was just wonderful. And we did imaging and he had a mass on his brain and I couldn't have happened to a nicer person, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's always a fear of mine is that we're going to find something that's going to be really traumatic. Um. What are some some of the more common or sorry, what 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 is a common misconception when it comes to the brain that you've heard around? Um, a lot of times people think that they can't recover from something. And while, yes, there are certain things that we can't cover recover from, such as if you have a, a lack of oxygen for, for too long to your brain, 
Um, there are a lot of things that you can recover from. And I remember when I first started working, even as a nursing assistant before I was in, in the position that I am now, um, I was working on a floor where if somebody had a stroke, we didn't really have much we could do. This was end of 99, early 2000s. We would work with physical therapy, occupational therapy, and hope for the best. And that was about it. We didn't give people a lot of hope. Uh, but now I'm seeing patients and I worked clinic for a long time. I would see patients years after their stroke, still getting back things that they thought they would never recover. And after fairly massive head bleeds too, patients would come back to clinic and I would almost not know that anything had happened to them because they were so resilient. So it's, uh, again, back to that resilience that we talked about at the very beginning, mm -hmm. the more you want to get better, the more you will get better. The more you, you work with therapy and uh, work really hard, the better you'll get. And it's not to say that you will get back to 100% of what you were before, but you learn a new appreciation for what you have. And even if you have some symptoms left over from whatever injury you had on the brain, you can live a really good, happy life. And just sometimes maybe in different ways. Yeah. I, I, know, I know when I was recovering from my brain injuries, one of the many that I've had. Um, after I came out of it, I, I gained a new appreciation for everything I had because, uh, and, and I lived my life and I actually still live my life a little bit more carefully than I would do. You know, uh, I know that I can't jump on a BMX bike and go hit some, hit some, you know, ramps because that's not smart. Right. Um, and at my age of 35, I mean, I know I'm only 35, but, you know, I've done so much in my life already that I think I'm okay to play it safe. A little bit of harm reduction there. <laughs> right. And at some point, that's probably a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had patients who they've gone through their, their illness and their spouse divorced them because that's not what they signed up for. Mm -hmm. And they find a new spouse and it's a better relationship than what they had before. And they find new hobbies. They find things that they love doing or they continue on their old hobbies. They find new ways to do it and they just rock the crap out of it. So it's, you can still live a happy life, sometimes happier afterwards because you have a new lease on life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some, what are, what are some of the, some, some things that you can do to help heal your brain uh, after you've gone through some of these things like on your own? with outside of a clinic, what are some things that you can do? I call these simple things, but they're not easy. Mm -hmm. So they're things that we should all be doing anyway, but we don't do them until we absolutely have to. Um, so getting good sleep at night, not staying up at all hours and going to bed at two, three o'clock in the morning and then trying to get up at six to go to work, making sure that you get a good seven to nine hours is what most adults need. And when your brain is healing, you need a little bit more. So going to bed early if you need to, yeah, but making sure that you get good sleep at night and staying off electronics as much as possible. So when somebody has a concussion, one of the things that we tell them is to limit their electronic time or screen time to two hours a day. That's what we tell people when they have toddlers <laughs> because mm -hmm. their brains are growing. And it's the same thing when your brain's been injured. You need to keep your brain off of the, the screen time because it's very stimulating to your brain and it overworks your brain, honestly. Screen time includes TV. It includes electronic readers. It includes your phone. Any device that you're on that has blue light, you need to really re remain off of it as much as you can. Drink plenty of water. Our body is like 80% water. So if we're not drinking enough, 
we're not going to heal. Our brain needs all that water to work appropriately as well and flush out toxins and get rid of all the things that our body's trying to heal from. Eating healthy means stay away from processed foods because the more processed, the more fake stuff you're putting in your body, the more your brain's not going to be able to heal quite as well. As I drink a coffee. You know, coffee's not terrible, but I always tell people that for every class a cup or a cup of coffee you have, you should have the same size of water to replenish it because coffee is dehydrating. Um, I never tell people to stop coffee because there are benefits to it as well. Um, there's a lot of, of um, antioxidants in coffee. So yeah. it can actually be helpful, but you need to offset it with the water. So it's okay. Yeah. Um, so simple things. Those are probably the really simple things. There are some supplements that I usually recommend to people for their brain as well, but um, those are the, the easy things. I never knew that sleep could help heal your brain. And I guess that's because like a lot of society were uneducated on healthy sleep patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we have this concept of all oh, a step as late as we can and then work, you know, and that's just not productive. And up until very recently, I haven't had a very healthy sleep pattern and I started getting on a sleep schedule. I'm in bed at the latest by 10 and I'm up six, seven in the morning, you know, and, and I feel great throughout my day. I'm, and it's weird. I used to be tired because my sleep schedule was off during the day and now I, I'm not tired. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing what it can actually, what good night's sleep could do for you. So if you're hearing this, <laughs> sleep, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Getting that good sleep is, is so important for your brain health. That's when your brain recovers. So when you're sleeping, that's when, especially when you get in that good, those good levels of sleep, your brain recovers, it heals. Um, if you've seen the movie Inside Out, mm-hmm. the kids narr- narrative movie, think about at night when they push the button and all the machine, all the marbles of the different colors get filed into the brain. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening when you're sleeping. So if you don't give your body time to file all of those things, everything's going to be kind of goofed up when you wake up in the morning. It affects your memory. It affects your mood when you're not sleeping well, which that affects your, your healing ability. So if you are recovering for something, you're not getting good sleep. Your brain is not going to heal. All of that stuff is not going to get filed appropriately. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that's one thing I wish I would have taken advantage of when I was, when I was going through my recovery is that healthy sleep pattern. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't set that for myself. I was like, ah, I'll be all right. But in reality, sleep helps heal your brain. Yeah, Absolutely. And I was also told, you know, stay away from the electronics, you know, limit your, your interaction. I didn't listen. Yeah. I wish, I wish a lot I of people don't. Like, what am I supposed to do with all this time? Yeah. yeah. I, I have all this time now where I'm not working. Like, what am I supposed to do? But in reality, like, you know, staying away from the electronics or limiting your, your electronic time can help yeah. settle your brain because your brain is always active when you're watching TV, when you're on the computer, on your phone, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, limiting that interaction is going to help you out a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and um, finally, like the water portion, a lot of people don't realize that water heals your brain. Mm-hmm. And that's because, well, we're at, we're adding water into our system, which is helping a whole, a whole litany of things, but yeah. it's also healing your brain. Yeah. It really does. Um, like I said, our, our bodies are like 80% water. So when if you if you deprive your body of that water, you're not going to be able to flush out the toxins. So when your brain is trying to heal, it gets rid of all the things that it doesn't need, all, especially if you're not eating a great diet. All those things build up in your body. 
And the only way you can get rid of them really well is to flush them out with water. So making sure you get enough water, stay hydrated. Your, your brain needs that to, to stay plump and healthy. And, and uh, if you think of what happens to a raisin when you, or a grape, sorry, when you leave it out in the sun, it dries up, it shrivels, and it looks like a raisin, right? Yeah. So you're losing all of that and it concentrates everything and you're going to lose some of the, the vibrancy of that. And in order to keep your brain vibrant, you need that water to keep it healthy and keep it fed, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, going into what we go into on this show, mental health. Yeah. Um, what are some of the mental health uh, crises that you've been through and how did you handle those? So I, um, mine started early on. I, when I was a teenager, I got bullied a lot. I lived out in the country. Um, we lived on a farm. We weren't really, uh, didn't have a lot of money. So I, had, I wore hand-me-downs all the time. I've been wearing glasses since I was about 18 months old. They got really thick for a while when I was a kid. Had surgery as an, as an adult, but I'm back in glasses again. Um, so I was a nerd. I was kind of a, a bit of an outcast and I was bullied a lot to the point where I had death threats. Uh, we were, they had people calling in our house in the middle of the night wanting to kill me. And um, so when you're 13, 14 years old, you kind of think that, well, if somebody else wants to kill me, maybe I should do that myself. Uh, and I had those thoughts go through my head at one point. Um, and I don't think my, my family entirely knows, but I started cutting for a while mm. because I didn't, I wanted to feel something that I did myself, not what other people did to me. Yeah. And, um, it took a long time to, to admit to those things. I didn't tell anybody until I was an adult because then after, after I stopped doing it, I was ashamed of it. Didn't want to talk to anybody to tell anybody what was going on. I didn't even tell my friends. They didn't know what was going on either. I just cut more long sleeves and long pants to cover it up. Um, I now have the scars that I would love to get probably tattoos over at some point, but um, it's part of who I was at that point. Uh, I finally switched schools and made new friends mm -hmm. and life was completely different, but you don't think about how those, those issues that affect you when you're a child and an early teenager will come back to haunt you later. I, I had all the confidence in the world as a child. And once that hit, I became a perfectionist and I was always trying to seek love from somewhere because I didn't get it from the people around me at the time and ended up being pregnant at 17. Mm. So senior year in high school, had a child and uh, that was uh, a whole nother thing. I, was, I decided that I didn't want to try to share my child. So I was going to marry his father. Bad idea. He was uh, mentally abusive only one time that I remember physically abusive, but that was enough mm -hmm. and got out of that situation, thankfully, but uh, went into another mentally abusive relationship. And it wasn't until several years ago in my late thirties that I finally realized life does not have to be like this. And it was in my late thirties that I got my own therapist uh, to help me deal with the issues and try to not repeat the same bad choices I had made in my life because of those early traumas that happened that really shaped my brain and taught me that I needed to do things a certain way in order to be loved. Um, it took a long time to realize that I am worthy as I am. I am loved as I am. And I don't have to do anything to try to get that from anybody else. I still work with therapy mm -hmm. because it's a process. Uh, it doesn't go away. It's, it's not something that goes away overnight. And even if you can get through it, it's those memories are always there. And there are things that will trigger you to go back into those. Um, I recently, I realized that I was responding to something as a total child. And I'm like, 
Oh yeah. Because it reminded me of that thing that happened when I was 13. So yeah, I went back to that 13 year old me. So I had to, to work myself through it again with my therapist and it was, it's kind of humbling being there, but I've opened up and shared that with a couple of my patients along the way, just little bits of it, because it helps them realize that they're not alone when they have mental health issues and when they have struggles. And even people who look like they have it all together don't because there are things behind the scenes that you don't see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the one thing as a lot of society looks at people in, in a medical professional field and they say they must, and excuse my language, they must have their shit together. Yeah. Reality. I mean, like we all are, kind of struggling together but some of us are much better at masking it than others yeah yeah i used to call it my uh, facebook perfect life because when i got divorced the second time people are like well what the heck everything seems so perfect well yeah i didn't air my dirty laundry on on social media everything did look perfect Uh, but behind closed doors it was a whole different lifestyle than what what people saw Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I kind of, same thing, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of my third divorce and, and yeah. people are like, Oh my goodness, it just looks so perfect. I was like, yeah, I know it did, you know, and that's because nobody needs to know, but yeah. Um, regardless, those, those, uh, those situations that you went through when you're younger, they really kind of, you said it, nailed it right on the head. They shape who you become later on. And, and how you choose to handle that is how you choose to handle it. I've been in therapy most of my life mm-hmm. because just life gets hard, mm-hmm. you know, and, and life happens. And I've been three years sober and I'm working through stuff now. And I thought that at the age of 35, being three years sober, I'd be like, got this nailed down. But you know what? Life happens. Yeah. Life will hit you at the most unexpected moments. Yeah. Um, what what kind of patterns or you, you, you spoke earlier and you said that there's a fine line between mental health and brain function. Yeah. Where is that fine line and what are some of the commonalities that we see? <laughs> the fine line is often hidden. Uh, so when, when I deal with patients in neurological settings, especially a lot of it being migraines, uh, a lot of those migraines come from trauma that we've been through. Some of it's genetic. Yes, there are genetic components of it, um, but a lot of it comes from stresses in our life that we just didn't deal with correctly. And a lot of my patients, I can say we've looked back and tried to talk about what's happened and what triggered them. And almost all of them have some sort of trauma in their past. And um, I learned this recently from, from my own interviews on my podcast. There are big T's and little T's in life. And the big T's are the big traumas that we normally think of losing somebody close to us, for example, or having somebody threaten our life. The little T's are just those little things on a day-to-day basis. When you have somebody bullying you just a little bit every day, it's not a physical thing, but it's just a mental game. Those, they can come back in very unforeseen ways. And we don't know the complete extent of them. But I see a lot of people with chronic pain issues, chronic health issues, um, autoimmune disease that kicks up because of stress. And that's where we get that that overlap of the mental health coming into the physical world and causing physical problems. And that's where it, it gets difficult to treat patients because we're trying to treat something physically when it's a mental health issue that needs to be treated overall. And there are not enough mental health practitioners in the world to, to deal with it all. No, absolutely not. Um, have you read the book, uh, The Body Takes a Toll? 
I have not. Okay. So pretty much it's an author. I don't remember who it is. I'd have to look it up. Mm-hmm. But this author talks about how every emotion, every emotion and every feeling is played out in the body. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is something I didn't know. Um, Cause we, you know, I, I'm a peer support specialist. We kind of talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, I didn't know is that, and it's so common mm-hmm. stress shows up in your neck, you know, anger shows up in your back. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and if you don't, if you don't address those situations, they be, they, they come from being, uh, they come from being, Oh, just a lingering pain to a chronic pain yeah. really quick. So working on your mental health actually helps heal your body too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what, 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 what do you think that like a, a mental health uh, crisis would look like on the brain over time? Like if it's untreated, undiagnosed and un, I guess untreated. Yeah. It's a lot of times it doesn't show up as changes that we can see. Mm-hmm. It's all of the internal things like the hormone imbalances. Um, it's when you have chronic stress over time on your body, it can take a toll on your adrenal system. So your kidneys get affected, all your hormones that go through your adrenals get affected, your thyroid can can get thrown off. So people that have chronic issues that end up being thyroid related or kidney related, they end up with diabetes because their kidneys are working overtime trying to deal with all the cortisol, that stress hormone in our body. So that's where we see that the physical part of it, where we it's not so much visibly seeing it, but seeing the effects of what it has on the body those secondary effects. Oh, wow. That, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we don't necessarily as a society talk about the secondary effects. They, yeah. you know, we kind of just treat it as individual things instead of this is a secondary effect of you're not taking yeah. care of yourself. Yeah. It's our current medical system is very much in silos. Everything you go to, if you have a heart problem, you go to a cardiologist. If you have problems breathing, you go to a pulmonologist. Everything has their silo per se, but it's all, it's all connected. If you look at our body, you can't take away the heart and have everything else work just fine. You can't take away the brain and have everything work just fine. It's all connected. It all affects the other systems. So it's, you need to look at the whole picture and see that this stress that you have, this chronic stress can lead to all sorts of different things, problems with your kidneys, problems with your brain, problems with your, your hormone levels. All of these things are connected. So when you have mental illness and it's causing stress on your body, it's not just the mental illness. It's everything else that goes along with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's something crazy and this is kind of outside. I didn't know that the, that the, that the nurse for the eye, mm-hmm kind of come up and then cross up top and then yeah. and then, then go, go back here yep. right because I was getting I was getting headaches back here in the muscles and every time that my muscle would tense up in the back of my head I would see waves or spots or even go blind and I'm like what is happening yep. and there and somebody actually one of my doctors showed me a diagram of the way that the nerves run through the eyes and I'm like wow this is madness yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's really cool, how, honestly, when you think about it, uh, to see how everything is connected. And again, I think that's why I like the brain so much, because it's just, it's the wiring is so cool. And just thinking about how everything functions from the brain, um, it's fascinating. I know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what, 
what are some some pointers that um, that you would give to people to uh, to continue to take care of their brain to continue you know over time not just getting healed up but over time taking care of the brain mm-hmm. I think the first thing I would say is to give yourself some grace we all are overcritical of ourselves. And um, I've heard it said several, several times recently that think about what you would say if that was a friend of yours. If your friend was telling you that they had problems with their mental health and mental illness, would you tell them to just suck it up and, and get over it and, and say bad things to them? No, you would, you would give them grace. You would tell them to take care of themselves. So you need to do that for yourself because we are all our own worst critics and we're all very hard on ourselves. We, uh, whether you're a perfectionist or not, we try to do everything right and we don't want to admit to anything that might show signs of weakness and people don't ask for help because they think it's a sign of weakness but it's actually a sign of strength because you know that you need help and you know you need to take care of yourself so first off give yourself grace and know that you are not alone lots of people go through the same thing that that you do and it's okay it's natural it's a part of life and we need to learn to get through it rather than just try to bury it down. And the second part would be ask for help. Because you, yes, there are some things you can do on your own to try to help yourself out. But at some point, that might not be enough. And you need help from somebody else, whether it be a short burst of a medication to help balance out your hormones again, or it's a therapist that you have long term, you need to get that same help, just like you would go to the doctor for a kidney problem or a lung problem, a heart problem, whatever, you need to go to a doctor for a mental health issue. It's the same thing. You need to address it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And about your podcast. Yeah. Let's talk about that. When did you get started? So I started last fall, actually. I'd been thinking about it for a long time. Um, And finally, I was interviewed by somebody else talking about migraines and just fell in love with the idea of the podcast because it was so much fun. Um, so I decided to start my own and it's called brain wellness, the podcast. Uh, and it's, we cover everything and anything related to brain health and wellness. I've had patients, uh, people that have been patients for neurological diseases on my show. And I've had other providers, uh, chiropractors, uh, speech therapists, occupational therapists, other doctors uh, come on the show and talk about their specialty area um, or things that, that they've had have come up and everybody has a story. And regardless of whether you're on the provider side or the patient side, everybody has a story of of what interests them and what got them into brain health. And it's every, every show is my new favorite because it's, it's a different aspect of, of brain health. And it just brings out how much we are connected and how we do all have similar experiences because there are themes that pop up along the shows that are coming up from different people, different parts of the world. I've interviewed people from the UK, from Canada, from the United States. Um, The other day I interviewed somebody that's in Dubai. It's all around the world. We have shared experiences and it's really cool to bring that up on the show. Absolutely. Has there ever been a situation uh, where you've just been blown away by something that somebody's told you, whether it's, uh, you know, perseverance or a fact that you may not have known? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the perseverance thing comes up so many times. I've had so many people on my show that have been through some crazy serious traumas and for people with, with lesser mental strength, they wouldn't have made it through. And instead of taking their life, like they thought about doing, they 
came through it and they help other people now. And it's just phenomenal to see how people take experiences in their lives and turn them around and help other people through the same kind of thing. You being an example. Um, so helping those people that um, had been through things like you have. And it's we're put on, on this earth to, to help each other, to love each other, not to push each other away. And when we can share our experiences and use those to help other people, it's always a phenomenal thing. And I just, I'll come off of those shows and I walk up to see my family. I do my shows in the basement. So I'll walk up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was such a cool show. And it's just, it lifts me up for the next several days as I think about it. Cause it's just it's such a, a, a really neat experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's my nerd out about it. <laughs> you know, I think it's, I think it's so beautiful because, you know, the podcasting community as a whole is just so yeah. beautiful, you know, because you meet some amazing people, like even people outside of your scope of what you do. Yeah. You know, I got interviewed by a guy that does just a shit talking show. Right. Yeah. And that was my first exposure to podcasting. I was like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love this. And now like diving deep into the podcasting community, I've met, I, I've met so many different people, you know, whether it's, you know, people that I've known for a long time that I just didn't know about their, their recovery mm -hmm. process or that they even were addicted to anything yeah. to, uh, you know, to hypnotherapists, to just, you name it. And, and it's just, it, it's wild. The, the amount of people that you'll meet in the podcasting community that are just like, wow. Yeah. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. I've, I've been blown away by, by the interviews and I don't, I don't always know the people before I interview them. I get a little bit of a snippet of what, of what they do. And they describe to me what, how, what they do is related to brain health. And then we get on the show and it's just mind blowing experience. It's so cool. Absolutely. All right, Mandy. So before we go, mm -hmm. where can we find you? I am all over the place. So um, on on TikTok and Instagram, I'm Brain Wellness NP. Uh, on Facebook, I have uh, both a podcast, uh, so Brain Wellness, the podcast site, and my Brain Wellness Solutions page, my personal page too, um, Mandy Counters. Uh, but uh, I did just publish a book as well called Migraine. <laughs> Migraine Help from a Unicorn Nurse Practitioner. So um, there is that. Uh, that's linked on all of my social pages as well. Look at you about to be a New York bestseller. <laughs> I'm hoping, hoping. Hey, let's put that into the universe. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> all righty, Mandy. I want to thank you for hanging out with me for these 45 minutes. I've had a blast. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I always love learning about something new that I didn't know before. And, you know, you definitely taught me some good lessons, some things that I'm going to hold on to. And uh, so thank you for being an awesome guest. Absolutely. Thanks, Sean. And everybody, thank you for listening in and hanging out with us. Uh, I've I, It's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk to Dr. Mandy. We're going to call you Dr. Mandy. <laughs> All right. And until next time, I hope you guys have a good day. Much love.